welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode 321, recorded June 21st, 2020. So last week we recorded an episode about uh, fish people in love with Sulu. Ah, yes. And then ironically enough, today we're talking about fish people, but uh, nobody falls in love. Or there is love in it. It's weird. It's confusing. There'll be some love, and uh, I have some lots of comments on that. Right, but uh, but this is fish people gold gold key style. It is with uh, issues. Uh, what is it? It's 40 forty-two through forty-four, two, and the fish person one I think is forty-three. The middle 43. one, right? So you'll have to wait a little bit to get to yeah. the fish issue. But, yeah, uh, I wasn't expecting you to to uh, to call attention to the fish the previous fish one, but yes, it's another it's another watery. Uh, story yeah i was just like really surprised i was just like man it's like we planned it on purpose <sighs> we didn't um <laughs> and this this is a very different way of handling uh, an away team or landing party which is even more not appropriate in this thing uh you know how how, how you depict that uh the crew going into a watery environment very different from the last uh, the previous issue we had done uh an right. episode or two ago but uh, I think I like this one better. But we'll talk about that uh, yeah. in a little bit. All right. But first, we have uh, what, Gold what, Key I, doing. Oh, can I also ahead. just mention Happy Father's Day? Oh, yeah. Well, that's where I was getting to. The first oh, sorry. one has to deal with babies. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. I, I should just let you. You've got this all planned out. Go ahead. <laughs> it's funny. All three of these, or at least the – well, yeah, all three all have to do with in this issue so uh it's like this is the perfect father's day uh because we're recording it on father's day 2020 Mm -hmm. and all three issues have to do with babies of some sort babies or children uh offsprings offsprings yes yes offsprings the the baby in the first one and then uh i guess sons mostly and daughters in the uh in some of the other ones right right good point good point dad it was again Weird timing. You're just like, man, it's like we planned it on purpose. There you go. So, anyways, uh, shall we just jump straight into the first one, or you got any more housekeeping? Um, when I say housekeeping, I'm thinking of uh, Tommy Boy. The, the movie that? Tommy Boy? Yeah, I remember when uh, Chris Farley's trying to sleep at David Spade's knocking on the door, pretending to be housekeeping. Ah, <laughs> okay, I got it. I got it. It's stupid. Sorry. Go uh, ahead. That's fine. That's fine. Um, and not really. I mean, just, you know, considering, continuing to hope we will get Star Trek uh, eventually back on, on video. So. Right. Oh, you know, okay, I'm just going to mention this and we can, we can veer off quickly. But there actually is some kind of rumor thing where, I mean, you, you've heard that, that there that they possibly are going to have a young Kirk 
pop in, pop into an episode or two of Strange New Worlds. Uh, of course, he's on a different ship, uh, but you know they talked about having Kirk recast and you know popping up here and there. Right. But what I just saw this week is that supposedly the producers of Strange New Worlds is toying with making him bi. Sexual. With, with, uh, and, and then that Shatner tweeted that he was for it or something like that. Oh, I, I was he? I, I, yeah, that's the what I saw of it. Oh my God, he I did? Didn't, I didn't see that they were actually thinking about doing it. Just that he tweeted something. Oh. Like, for it. I was like, why? Okay, whatever. So he'd be like Captain Jack from Doctor Who. Oh! Who is, uh, you know, just will sleep with anything. He's exactly. <laughs> if what, what, it has a pulse, he's sleeping with it. Captain Jack is omnisexual. He right. will he will nail anything. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't know why they have to do that to, to the Kirk character, but whatever. I mean, it's fine. It's fine. It's just that why do you always have to be screwing with characters like that? I don't know, but whatever. Right. Oh well. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. All right. I think you got the first issue for today. Yep. Okay. So I am doing issue number 42, which is titled World Against Time. And this one was published uh, January 1977. And it appears that the writer was Arnold Drake and the art was Alden McWilliams. I don't know. I, I have no idea whether he's Scottish or not, but. Okay, so the cover features a huge crying baby head. I mean, this kid is wailing, or so so she or he appears. Um, Much smaller, and in the lower right-hand corner, is what appears to be a 10 or 12-year-old Kirk and Spock in baggy uniforms who are running away from the crying baby. Um, And in... uh, and uh, you know, some kind of uh, white and pink explosion is also going on behind them. So it's the crying baby head, the white and pink explosion, and then in front of them is what appears to be Scotty, or not, it's not Scotty, but it really does look like, like Kirk, kind of. It's definitely Spock. And as we'll see later, it's actually Scotty, but I, I think it looks like Kirk on the cover, but whatever. So the two characters are in transition to becoming younger is, you know, spoiler alert. Anyway, so there's uh, there's text that says the hourglass spins backwards. So what can they mean by that? Anyway, the opening page shows Spock and Scotty on a rocky planet as they de-age and turn into single-digit aged children. Spock says they need to stop the deadly ray before they vanish. Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Scotty beam down to planet 137, where they find an almost empty city whose building proportions are much bigger than normal Earth humans. They estimate the inhabitants of the city must be giants, perhaps 12-foot-tall humanoids. They find a young blonde child in the street, and Kirk just can't help but point his red phaser at her while it sobs in fear. You big bully. They talk the large child into taking the landing party to the others of her kind. They end up in a building stuffed with a really big preschool, 
stuffed with them. They end up in a building stuffed with really big preschool-aged children playing with toys. The children talk about a great provider they call Eliah. Eventually, some children show up, and one of them shoots a crossbow arrow at them. The taller of the two is a dark-haired teenager wearing a comically large crown. He claims to be Emperor Wendum of the planet Ordon. They want the landing party to leave the children alone and threaten to shed Kirk and the company's blood. Sick of all this, Scotty finally grabs the Emperor, Naughty Pants, and starts to spank him across his knee. John Wayne style. Uh, You remember like Maureen O'Hara in McClintock in 1963 being spanked by John Wayne? A very woke thing to be doing. Um, Anyway, so it's just like that. Suddenly, a really big kid in armor and a kilt says he is General Macador, and they had better take their hands off the Emperor. Scotty does as the famous Aliyah comes onto the scene. She is a lovely and really big young woman. After lots of threats about shooting the landing party with a really awkward-looking crossbow that shoots four arrows at the same time, one for each of the uh, landing party members, Kirk hurls himself at the general and knocks the big kid to the ground. They finally figure out that a recent earthquake uncovered a deposit of radium in a cave that is revered by their religion. The radiation given off is actually de-aging the population. The closer to the deposit, the faster the de-aging process. Scotty and Spock hit on the idea of collapsing the cave and covering up the radium. They take off to do it, knowing that they will grow younger at a faster rate the closer they get to the radium. General Macador runs after Spock and Scotty to stop them from defiling the holy cave with their presence. After failing to stop them from entering the cave, the general runs past them deep into the holy cave. Scotty and Spock run into the cave after him, but eventually catch up to a red and black kilt sitting on the ground with no occupant. The general became so young that he vanished. Scotty and Spock see that they have de-aged to the point of being tweens. They have to act fast to set charges in the ceiling above the bright glowing radioactive ore deposit. They set the explosives timer and run as fast as their little legs will take them to exit the cave. The cave collapsed behind them and they find themselves to be about six years old. McCoy is able to bring them back to normal with a radiation antidote he developed using the medical banks of the Enterprise's computer. Now fully restored, the landing party find out that Eliah and Emperor Wendon do not want the antidote. They rather they age at a normal rate and gradually learn how to rebuild their world again. The end. Not a big fan of the ending because uh, they say that they forget everything that uh, they learned as adults. Yeah. And so you're basically saying you're entrusting the whole civilization to 
kids. It's going to be children of the corn where they're going to like, <laughs> screw everything up. Wow. Because they don't know any better. They yeah. haven't learned from history because they don't have any history to learn from. Well, but but the emperor and uh, and the uh, what Elia? I mean, they're they're teenagers yeah. or something, right? Teenagers, sure. But they but they still have. I mean, don't they still kind of have their intellect? I mean, I agree with you. The whole they idea... have their twelve year old intellect. They said that they forget everything that they used to know, right? Don't they actually? They say that. Well, yeah, you're okay. You're right. So so they're twelve. They're now twelve. Uh, something like that, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think it's not. I think it's not wise because they got to feed themselves. Yeah. Of right. course, how Elia was feeding them. I mean, can she continue to do that? However, she was doing it. I mean, because don't they have to, uh, you know, like have farmers and things, and plumbers and electricians and all yeah. kinds of stuff that uh, that a ten, twelve-year-old may not have the capability of knowing. Yeah. Yeah, an odd decision to make. But, yep, good point. I agree. So, so I know that the idea of de-aging people is bad enough and hard enough to swallow. But when you eventually go back far enough to actually assert that you disappear... Right. That is even harder to to swallow. <laughs> I mean, you disappear. I mean, you just become the little wink, the the, the glint in your mother's eye. I mean, what? Right, right, right. Yeah, you basically it's kind of weird. Evolve back into a single cell and then nothing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, uh, it makes no sense. Yeah. It is funny that uh, you know I know that back in the sixties and seventies and eighties. TV shows had certain tropes that they always did. You know, there was always the twin, the evil twin, you know, yep. episode that every episode, every show had and, yep. and things like that. And it seemed like in the 2000s and 90s, it was everybody turns into a kid. You mean, that happened quite a bit in like, you know, Star Trek The Next Generation, but also in like Justice League and a lot of the different oh, cartoons Justice stuff. League did there that? was always like the episode where suddenly they're kids. You oh, know? God. And so you had like a little surly Batman and you know a little Bat Boy <laughs> and stuff like that. But I mean, it's just funny that that, that you know back here in 1977, uh, Gold Key was doing it too. So I guess it even goes back further than I thought. With uh, just let's do it, let's do it. They're all like kids episode. Yeah, right. Yeah, and that next gen episode was horrible. I'm I, sorry. I kind of like it. I. Oh my God! A little kid Guinan, little kid John Luke. It's like, oh my God! And then, and then there's one point where, where uh, what, twelve year old John Luke, whatever he was, John Luke, yeah, it, it throws a little tantrum. Little it's like, oh tantrum. my God, really? <laughs> anyway, whatever. And he had hair. I was like, I don't think John Luke ever had hair. He should be bald. <laughs> I think you're right. I don't think he ever did. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> you ever seen pictures of the original like screen test of Jean, uh, Patrick Stewart where they were going to put a wig on him? Um, I did see a picture of him in a wig uh, that supposedly was from that. It just, oh my god! Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, that's just that's just so a bad glad. idea so all glad. the way around. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so anyways, 
I also didn't like that it was just a shot. That uh, I mean, it looks like a long shot too, but uh, that McCoy gives them in their butts and <laughs> back to normal. Isn't that funny when you? I mean, when I was a kid, I remember something about really long needles uh, for certain things. But it's like I don't know whether that was like for horses or something. <laughs> you never use them on people, but there is no such thing like that now. I mean, there, there's right. no such thing as big, huge needles. Anyway, yeah. No, there probably never was. There probably never was, just but I just remember something about that. Fear. Exactly. I guess maybe needles. when you're small, everything looks bigger. Yeah, because well, <laughs> it is. But <laughs> anyway, So Scotty was kind of a chunky-looking kid. Yeah, that one panel, he's pretty big. Ah, <laughs> uh, you, you grew out of your baby fat there, Scotty. But then you got it right back again in the movies. Oh. <laughs> what? That's true. Of course, back here, they would have no idea about any of that, but they were prescient as to what would end up with uh, Scotty in the long run. Okay. Right. So overall, I did not care for this issue, but there's one thing that I really thought was funny, and I genuinely enjoyed it. What? Um, it was uh, Spock, Spock talking that kid out of guarding them. By, or was it was a Scotty, I can't remember. But he was like, oh, you know what the sun god told me about his best oh, friend, god. Bobo? Oh, God. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, what did he say about Bobo? <laughs> well, he said that Bobo was his best friend. You know, just like. Oh, my God. <laughs> it. it was so stupid, but I loved it. Yeah. It's 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 like that, uh, that card playing game that Kirk makes up in uh, A Piece of the Action. Yeah. You loved it. Good. Good. I'm glad you, you loved it. You didn't care for it? I I just thought it was filler, but whatever. Beto. That was his name, not Bobo. Beto. Beto. There you go. You cool. For Beto? Yeah, and he always talks in third person for some reason. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was cute. I liked it. And I, and I like the kid designs. Uh, I mean, usually when they show aliens, they look like humans. But these uh, at least had, like, larger eyes and kind of wonky ears. But uh, So it did give them that slightly alien look. Slightly. I yeah. I liked it. Cool. I didn't care for them being giant babies. That was too nah. bad. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but the look of the babies and the Beedo thing, uh, getting tricked by getting a message from the sun, I thought was great. So, so then, since you're... You know, since you're pretty good with Scotty in this episode or issue, uh, you did you like uh, Colonel Goldilocks and the three Gardazian bears when he was telling that story to the kid that I assume pissed on his lap? Oh, I forgot about that part. <laughs> I forgot that he got peed on. Well, I, I assume so. I mean, no, he, no, they no, didn't I come out and right. say it. They didn't come yeah, out and no. say it, but but Scotty was not happy with that kid on his lap. <laughs> and that and that and that kitty story he was making up, uh, right? Or doing a spin on Goldilocks, or maybe that's right. how they do Goldilocks well, in the future. That's just how it is in the future. Yeah, exactly. with the transporter. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, he totally gets beat on because McCoy's like, "Oh, you should have had a a rubber a rubber uh, apron." Oh, that's it. Good pee on you. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that part was a little stupid. Oh, oh, that part's stupid. Yeah, yeah, that part's stupid. But then but the, other, know, the other, the other point, the story about Bobo or whatever the hell that was. But yeah, that's that was, okay. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, that's <laughs> where I call the line. <laughs> <sighs> okay. I mean, you alluded to it in the synopsis, but the, uh, the concept of a uh, four-pronged co- uh, bow gun, mm-hmm. uh, crossbow, uh, I mean, how, how would you aim it? Well, the people that you're shooting would have to be in a very specific distance from each other. And a right. very specific distance from you, or you're not going to be very effective in shooting four people at once. Yes. So out of the people he's aiming at, I mean, I'm like, uh, I don't think you're going to hit everybody. I, th- I think McCoy <laughs> and Scotty are probably okay. It's the guys in the middle, maybe, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's a good thing that he he because he only had one. I mean, one main weapon. So it's a good thing that he brought that four one, that right, four right. arrow crossbow. Yeah. So, yeah. do you have any? So, why do you think? I know we can't tell this, but why do you think they made the uh, the creative team, the Orc or or Ordonians? I guess they're Ordonians. Why they made them giants? Uh, so they can have that shot of Scotty spanking a giant baby. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. What else? So I get I, the only thing I can guess is is they're just trying to mix things up a little bit. Sure. Because that is, it, it's kind of a good point. I mean, Vulcans are the same average height as humans, and mm-hmm. so are Andorians, and yeah, everybody's pretty much the same height um, for the most part. Right. Um, I mean, there are some some things like what's that? What's that race that uh, that stabbed Kirk in the back and 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 destroyed his heart? I forgot what those those uh, are Picard called. Or, or, I Picard, mean, Picard, Picard or Kirk? You said Kirk. No, Picard. Okay, oh, yeah, yeah. oh, did That's I? Nos- oh, sorry. Nosican. I meant to say Picard. Um, yeah, the Nosican that looks like a, the Predator. The, oh, there you go. Okay, so those guys are pretty big. Those are universally yeah. pretty big. But other than that, everybody's about average size. So the idea of going to a planet uh, maybe with lower gravity than Earth, not horrendously lower, but lower gravity than Earth, you know, people may be bigger. So I, the idea of that is does not seem... Uh, it actually seems kind of a good idea um, to mix things up a bit, but this is like the only. Well, I mean, there was that. Wasn't that that other one where people were really giants, and it's like a human being was only like as high as their boot or something. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah, that one where they were fighting the um, with the crazy with the crazy captain in right. the cloaked planet. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Oh, that's right. The Don Knotts captain. That's right. And that, <laughs> exactly. now that was UK comics, right? Uh, yeah, that was a UK. Comic. Okay, so it's like so, so um, two different interpretations of Star Trek uh, across the pond. Uh, and well, Gold Key was Gold Key a US production or well, uh, it was drawn and written, I think, in the in in Spain, but uh, okay, in Italy, but it was writers it was published were... here in the United States. Okay, 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 fine. Um, anyway, I just thought it was two interesting takes on uh, on giants, uh, uh, you know, a giant uh, planet of the giants that uh, the Enterprise visits. Right. Yeah. Now on screen they had that one uh, in the pilot. There was that those oh, giants. Oh, those guys. Oh yeah, yeah. Those those, those were nasty looking. Although the the mouthpiece with the with the uh, the teeth, it looked so fake. It was a pilot from. It was a pilot, damn it. Give it, give it, some, give it, some, give it some leeway. <laughs> okay. 
Now, uh, I did just look up something just to see if they've ever done this uh, youth thing in Star Trek before, and there is an animated series episode that it reminded me of uh, oh. where... Uh, they became kids. Commodore Robert April and um, do a time travel thing where they all start reverting back to kids. Oh, so the the episode that Captain April was in, I mean, was he in more than one or just one? I think it was just in one. Okay. Him and, him and his wife beam over and they're all old and then they do this thing and they start getting younger. And... Oh, only them? No, I think everybody does. But okay. because they're so much older than Kirk, they're able to keep, uh, they're able to take over and uh, save the day. Oh, okay, they're gotcha. Because they're old. Okay, gotcha. They're... Cool. Okay. Yeah. I, I I love the idea of seeing Captain April. I'd like to see Captain April in Strange New Worlds pop up at some point. Right. Yeah, I like that they brought him up in um, the Star Trek Ongoing. Um, it was either an Ongoing or boldly yep. Go. Yep. But I think they kind of botched a little bit by making him a bad guy. Well, I wasn't crazy about it, but, you know, it was the reboot, Calvin Universe, so. Right. No, I'm just glad Whatever. that they at least referenced it, but I, I just didn't like what they, they did with it. Right. All right, anything else? From uh, the world That's it. That's it. So, uh, in general, did you, did you like it? No. <laughs> no I, I didn't like it either. It was ridiculous. Uh, Although I will say that based on the cover, because you told me when it was, you know, when we were doing this next next one, you were looking through it, uh, and you said there's a baby on the cover, and I thought you were kidding. Uh, so based on the cover, I was expecting it to be oh so much worse. So it was better than I expected it to be, um, but still pretty bad, pretty right. lame. You know what? Uh, I still like these covers, though. I, I don't know if uh, George Wilson does all the covers. I don't know if he did this one, but mm-hmm. he does a lot of these covers. And man, his his artwork is usually so good. Yeah. And it was just like you know, it's usually a, you know painted. And, and then issue forty four, we'll see like there's the cover which was by George Wilson, and it's painted and looks beautiful. And then you turn the page, and it's that that splash page and it's almost the exact same shot from the cover right and but not you know not done the same way not right. not uh, painted and things like that and just like man you can really tell the how much work he does in that one you know in just the cover that makes it like pop out you you would totally pull that off and go to the you know the 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 nickel and dime store and buy it right <laughs> But the inside, not as not right. so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the covers, the covers are very nice. But I got to okay. So, you know, it, fr- from an artistic standpoint, I think this cover with the with the screaming baby is, is is pretty and it's interesting. Even though it does have a screaming baby head, a huge screaming baby head. There's a, there there there's there's a, just a general look to it. The colors and things. It's 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 pretty nice looking. The next one that you're going to do with the fish people. It's a stupid-looking cover. Uh, stupid. And then, uh, you're right, back in 44, um, uh, the last one we'll one do today. That's one of the best covers I've seen. That's a, that's a, Might it, be my favorite gold key is 44. Oh, wow. Cover. That's pretty good. Cover. It, it's, it, it's a very, uh, it, very good-looking cover, although when you look at the subject matter, it's a little ridiculous. But again, like the Screaming, screaming Baby, it's very pretty. And and very well painted. Okay. Right. All right. Well, let's go on to 
three then, if you're if you're good. Okay, mom. <laughs> All right. So this came out, I believe, February of 1977. The uh, writer was Arnold Drake. Art by Alden McWilliams. And the cover artist is George Wilson. So the cover, like we mentioned before, um, maybe not the best one, but it just basically shows a man wearing a fish helmet, and it looks like a goldfish face where his head's coming out of the mouth. Uh, he's riding a aquatic dinosaur, a purple aquatic dinosaur, and he's holding a harpoon or a spear or something, and it looks like he's about to shoot it at uh, four Starfleet officers in wetsuits, three men and one woman that we know for sure. But we don't know who they are yet. So the story starts with the Enterprise being contacted by Starfleet HQ and given an assignment. They are going to investigate the planet Buaja. Uh, but before that, they have to rendezvous with a new crew member. So they swing by and pick up the tiny shuttle to find it's Barbara McCoy. Um, Leonard McCoy's uh, estranged daughter. You remember a few issues back, she was the xenobiologist that was uh, keeping the telepathic King Kong purple bear horned thing. But anyways, the two reunite here with a hug, but uh, for the rest of the issue, uh, the, she resents McCoy for leaving her and her mother all those years back. So uh, I don't remember that in the last issue. When they see each other here, they hug, they seem happy. The next page, she's very bitter and, and nasty. So anyways, back to business. Uh, Barbara uses something called the Mintapix to share the sights, sounds, and feelings of a planetary debriefing she's about to give, taking the concept of show-and-tell to the ultimate heights. She tells the story of the planet Bawaja, that uh, they, their ancient people predicted that a supernova was going to ravish their planet. So they prepared by retreating underwater and they actually perform surgeries on all their people uh, to apply working gills the, the supernova did indeed hit the planet and destroy all surface life though the new undersea kingdom remained vibrant even though they were irradiated and then over the centuries uh, the babies uh, started being born with gills themselves no surgery required and over time, that became the norm, that everybody was mutated and didn't need the surgery to get their gills. So with show and tell over, they prepare to arrive at the planet. Garbed in wetsuits, McCoy, Spock, Kirk, and Barbara beam down. McCoy gives them all a ox capsule that somehow gives them 24 hours worth of oxygen and one tiny little dose so that they don't have to keep coming up for air. So they take the pill and dive in with only goggles and earmuffs to protect them from the high pressure of underwater life. They swim to about 2,600 feet, which I did look up. That's more than 1,000 feet uh, deeper than the uh, world record scuba diver of current times. So it's about half a mile. Uh, so when they uh, so about at 2,600 2, feet, they come across uh, some locals riding aquatic dinosaur creatures. They are then kind of captured and taken even deeper into the water, and they find an underwater kingdom. There they meet King Ran the Fourteenth. 
who can speak with them telepathically. Barbara tells them that they are the reason why they're there to learn about the great people. Uh, Rand does not seem to care, and he orders that they are placed into the air chamber, what he calls the air chamber, and says that they will be executed in 48 hours. So while en route to their air chamber, they see a procession for a baby's funeral. When they are in the air chamber, they talk about what their next steps are going to be when a small boy meets with them. He says that over the years, when babies are born without the gill mutation, they are abandoned here in the air chamber. They find out that there's yet more people there and that there's one older guy who tells them that, uh, that some people actually escape the air chamber by climbing their way to the surface through a vertical wall. And again, that's assuming that this vertical wall is about half a mile deep, if not deeper. The Starfleeters decide to climb the wall. I mean, we know Kirk can, but these other ones, I'm not too sure about. But somehow they all make it. Uh, when they're getting close to the top, not quite to the top, there's a precipice. And when they're there, they are attacked by a huge armadillo. Uh, they all blast it with uh, maximum phasers several times. Uh, but eventually it does crumble before injuring any of the crew. With the creature dead, they make their way up the remaining climb unimpeded. Once on the surface, they find yet another little boy who shows them to the surface king, who is a third little boy. This one is named Doro. So as they're speaking with Doro and his advisors, uh, they are suddenly attacked and Spock is captured by King Ran the Fourteenth himself. And he's about to kill Spock. Ran is surprised, or he seems surprised, to find that there's people here on the surface. He says he does not care and that he claims he's going to kill them all. Then, a woman who is Doro's advisor uh, tells Ran that would he kill King Doro if he found out that it was his own son? The son that uh, King Do Ran thought was dead all these years? So, here's the confusing order of events that I've gathered. It seems that Ran had a tryst with this air-breathing woman, had a baby, thought it died, and then from that point on, he started to save all the future non-guild babies that were born instead of killing them, just putting them in the air chamber. Um, somehow, I think this uh, is some way of honoring his departed son, maybe. I don't know. Makes no sense. But it wraps up the story, story nicely, and it acknowledges that uh, he will be the king, the king of the underwater, and his son Doro will be the king of the surface. The crew then beam back to the ship, and the two McCoys start to work out their own complicated family issues privately. The end. Wow. So confusing, right? I could not figure out how that baby got born, and he didn't know it. Well, I... Because the mom's an air breather, right? So it, it, he well... like they didn't uh, allow people to live before his baby was born. So where did she come from? And okay. how did he come <clears throat> And I, I interpreted this differently, and maybe I missed something that you, you saw, but um, I thought there were some number of people... Yeah, there, there were some number of people that were just naturally being born air breathers. They didn't have gills. Right. In the population. And I thought the, the, this was the child of the, the king and the queen, the, the brunette one. 
you know. Uh, right. The Dora. Uh, uh, oh, was that, was that her name? I forgot. Oh, her uh, name. Her name. Uh, the queen. His queen. The one that, the underwater queen. The underwater queen. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did she, I didn't know she had more than one. Uh, anyway, so, so the fish head king and the queen, uh, had a son, right? Had a, had a son, and it was an air breather. And I thought it was the son of the queen. And then because it was an air breather, she knew it didn't have any future or whatever, and, or, or maybe, maybe the king knew it too, and whatever. But anyway, the main point is, they sh- rather than killing the kid, they shuffled him up to the surface, you know, with the other air breathers. Um, or maybe that was the beast, the start of when he started saying, okay, rather than killing them, I really should be, you know, just getting rid of them on the surface. Uh, okay. So that's what I thought. But. You know what? When I read it, I didn't realize that the woman advisor is different than just suddenly the queen showing up um, and saying, this is our child. Right. I thought that it was the same woman. But but now that I'm looking at the pictures, the <clears throat> the queen doesn't have the head dra- wrapping and the uh, advisor woman that was taking care of the boy does have the wrapping. So you're right. They're two different people. Okay. When well, I read it, I thought it was the same person. And so when this woman, who I thought was still the advisor, said, even if it's our child, ran, I thought, oh, wow, he had a tryst with the uh, the surface dweller. Oh. But. Uh, hmm. But no, you're right. You're right. You're right. Just it's just really random that this the queen shows up in that panel because right. that's the only panel she's in. <laughs> she's like, "This is our son," and then she's just gone. No, no, no. She's in one more panel. Yeah, just it's just weird. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, nope, I totally missed it. I thought it was the same woman. All okay. right. Cool. My whole uh, is crap. No, it isn't crap. Crap. Just that one little part. Uh... Yeah, I completely agree with you about the the fact that that they were 2,600 feet down. Is that what right. they said? Yeah. Okay. Well, that was when they found the people. Then they went even deeper to get to the city. Yeah, and it's like uh, <laughs> they're they're in scuba gear basically. And uh, you remember. Um, uh, what was that, uh, that that movie with Ed Harris? Uh, the Abyss. The Abyss. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he was in... I, I forgot how deep he went, but he went really deep. But he had that whole get-up, and then he was like, had water in his lungs. He was breathing through water. Right. Um, right. And all that kind of stuff. And none of that's here. <laughs> they're in scuba gear, pretty much. I mean, there could be some advances in scuba gear by the... You know, 22nd century, 23rd century. But, no, you don't go that deep. Um, right. And, yeah. and, and, and I, had got, I got a PADI uh, certification for, you know, just normal open water stuff. So I have some experience scuba diving. No, you don't go anywhere near that <laughs> using, you know, normal kind of scuba gear. Right, they have goggles and earmuffs. That's that's it. Ex- so earmuffs, that, right? That that keeps them from getting the pressure in their ears and their eyeballs poking ah, out. Yeah, yeah. The, the whole trick to diving is you got to equalize the pressure. Right. Uh, and so, <laughs> uh, okay. So 130 feet is is about as deep as the uh, most normal diving can typically happens. Right. Uh, and then uh, records are more like 200 foot. Or something right. like that. Right. 
Now yeah, I looked it up. 2, There's, somebody went down one thousand one time. Oh my god! That, that must. So that must have been special gear. Right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Anyway, whatever. So they'll throw out numbers like this in stories. Whatever. It's a kid's book. But yeah, I mean, at that at that pressure, you would be crushed. Not. I mean, let alone all the you know the. What is it? Oxygen. What is it? The the nitrogen comes out of your blood or something like that or the bends. Yeah. So I mean, you would have that, but then you would just be crushed. I mean, it, it was just the pressure of having all that weight on you. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I it's don't ridic- see it's how ridiculous. you're uh, you're able to. Yeah, and, and if you're truly that far down, the idea that there is some some uh, vertical cave that you can climb up because they're climbing up. Straight up. Yep. Um, so you're climbing up twenty six hundred feet ish up this <laughs> up this uh, this thing. And by the way, Barbara looks very good doing it in her little bathing suit. But I gotta tell you, uh, yeah. Anyway, whatever. Don't think too much. <laughs> yeah. Well, if Batman can do it with a broken back and uh, oh, the Dark God. Knight Rises, uh-huh. then I think Barbara McCoy in her prime can do it. Exactly. <laughs> because if you're Batman, Bruce Wayne, uh, even though you've got a broken back on the mend, with enough willpower, you can still do it. Right. Yeah, I don't think so. But whatever. No. <laughs> okay, so here's what I thought was weird about this story. All oh. right, so they get captured. They what do you mean, be, besides a towel on top of their heads? All right, let's talk about that later. Okay. <laughs> this is something that kept happening over and over again, and I was just like... Well, I get their target audiences are boys, little boys, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when they go into the cave, oh, we're in this cave. It's so dark. I'm so scared. You know, they don't say that, but that's what you're supposed to be thinking. And then right. they meet a little boy. He tells them what's going on. Nah. And then they climb a, a, a giant thing and fight a monster. And then when they get to the top, hey, we're at the top. What's going on? Oh, here's a little boy. <laughs> and then he tells them what's going on. And then he takes them to the king who is a little boy. And I was just like, oh, my God, there's just all these little boys everywhere. I was like, if I was a little kid reading yeah. this, I'd be like, yeah, of course. We of can course. do anything. Exactly. <laughs> I just thought it was funny that all the exposition and all of the plot movement was uh, from Accomplished different by little, little boys. boys. Little, little boys, different ones. Anyways, <laughs> so what were you going to talk about? That's the, a good uh, observation. Mythics? Oh, my God. You loved it? I loved it. So, the idea of Mentapix in general to basically directly inject into your head um, video. So, they don't, so it's not like, like uh, virtual reality goggles or something and a headset. This is, this is directly injecting video, audio, and even smell. Um, through your through your skull directly into your brain, so you're experiencing it. So the idea of that is pretty cool, but it's the implementation of it that's rather humorous. So, so the device that he wears is that what you're talking about? Yes, yes. Okay. So so when you first see it on Kirk's head, it's kind of at first it's a it's a it's a baby blue towel. <laughs> That kind of is draped over his head like 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 headphones, and it's got a wire coming out of it like headphones, but it actually looks like a fabric 
a big fluffy fabric baby towel is what it looks like to me. Now, right. when McCoy, there, there's there's a panel where McCoy is next to him, and it's by the way, it's interesting that McCoy is doing this and not Spock, but okay, fine. Um, so they've got McCoy, and now for him, he kind of looks like a chef with a really big, it was a, a little bit more like a chef rather than a baby towel over his head. So he looks a little less ridiculous, but oh my God, could they have implemented, could they have drawn that better? I think so. What do you think? Yeah, the, the little baby bonnet. Now, uh, you wrote me and, and uh, kind of gave me a heads up that there was a, a weird baby blanket thing. And uh, so when I got to it, I, I was already prepared. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it looks ridiculous. Interesting choice. I mean, they, they really could have implemented that better, but whatever. Right. But uh, but what's funny is that uh, in the last season of Supergirl, yeah, TV show, yeah, they have this new virtual reality thing that uh, is a lot like this. But instead of wearing like VR stuff like we're used to, they literally only put in contact lenses. And when they put these contact lenses on, it stimulates their brain so that they can taste, smell here you know basically do everything as if they were really there uh-huh. kind of like having a holodeck in your eyes sure sure but but it's the whole the smell and taste thing that they keep talking about but it, it manipulates the q waves or whatever that is and that uh, that somehow is able to stimulate your taste buds to think you're eating something oh so when i was reading this i was like oh wow this is the uh the 1977 version of that <laughs> Yeah, and I think the Supergirl implementation, uh, although not the most obviously greatest way of doing it, I think. I think it's a lot cooler, <laughs> a lot, a lot more high tech, a lot cooler than than this. But so through your eyeballs, it does all. I mean, visual make that's fine. Visual makes sense, but it does all though all that plugging into your ba- brain through your eyes. Right, by manipulating Q waves, whatever okay. that is. So it's yeah, wirelessly, yeah, so it isn't going through your eyes necessarily. It's wirelessly somehow with Q yeah. waves right. stimulating your brain to, so, into th- seeing certain, certain things, exactly. smelling certain things, tasting certain things. Okay. But I guess the holodeck does it too in, in Next Generation. I mean, they're able to eat cake on the holodeck and not, not gain a pound, right? So yeah. <laughs> there must be some you know, taste to it. Yeah, well, the whole basis of the holodeck is visual, uh, but somehow these visual projections have physical form. They're tangible. Exactly, and somehow these visual visual things you're able to taste. Uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, right. That the, the, there are there are always places where it kind of breaks down. What makes right. sense and what doesn't make sense. So. Yep, I agree. So uh, here's something that does not make sense. What? Um, well, in here's this in this issue. In this issue, yeah. No, because I mean this issue is, you know, doesn't have too many problems. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, them riding uh, giant seahorses, you know, Aquaman cartoon oh, style. Exactly. Like exactly. Love that. Oh. <laughs> the part that I had a problem with was that it shows them like later they're wearing they're leopard like, on skin craft. bikinis. Yeah, they're on rafts in bikinis, and the raft is attached to like what looks like a trout or a you know some a sort of just of regular kind. fish. 
So they're able to just uh, throw harnesses on any fish, and that fish will cart them around. Yeah. Well, you know, if it's underwater. if it's Aquaman, okay, I can understand that. But these these uh, B W U J A Ns, I wonder. I wonder. They do say they have telepathy, so maybe they can control fish. Aquaman oh my stuff. God! You're right. Okay, well, definitely when I saw the the huge seahorses, um, it was like you guys are just aping on Aquaman. That's all there is to it. <laughs> right. Now, uh, one thing that I thought was weird, and this is going to sound gross, but uh, it shows the doctor delivering the baby, and it's like they're underwater, right? Yep. That's where they live. And the baby's born, and he's like, hey, it has gills. You know, it's born with gills. Yeah. Um, which is fine. I get it. But also, I'm like, all right, so that baby just came out. Yep. He's pretty clean. Uh, <laughs> and the water around him is pretty clean. There's no, like, yeah. you know. Yeah, don't, I, don't go into details. We and then he's wearing gloves. The, the gloves thing is what got me. I was just like, if you were delivering babies in the ocean... But you need gloves because it's all connected. It's not, I mean, it seems even more connected than water. You know what I mean? Uh, well, it is water, right? Right. But what right. I'm saying is just like germs and stuff. I think, I don't think gloves would really help if no, you were I, delivering in water. Eh, well, it's just still a barrier. But how do you manufacture gloves underwater? I mean, I... <laughs> or these clothes. How do you make metal? How do you do anything underwater? I mean, I don't know. I guess you figure out how to do it, but come on. Sure, sure. I don't know. I mean, yeah, Aquaman, Mariner. You... I mean, it's, it's happened before. This is not the first time. No, no. No, it, it was ridiculous. But it was just that picture, the, the baby being born and him wearing gloves like a normal, you know. Yeah, a, a normal, normal doctor. doctor. It's a boy, but well, he's underwater. Yeah. Well, exactly. But but also, what about that transition? Because what are they? They have mechanical gills that they're implanting into people. So right. the baby comes out of the chute. Normally, at least for humans, um, it goes from breathing in its lungs with fluid into coughing it out and breathing air. Right now, that you know, that's the way it happens here. And I assume there, but it's underwater, the baby. So right. are they super fast and planting mechanical gills into into these babies? Yeah, with no recovery time. Exactly. Exactly. How do they do that? Yeah, no, I was thinking the same thing. And then I was also was wondering maybe if that's why they had some of those air chambers is that. Well, air chambers would make more sense until the they're baby, able to. The babies were in there until they right. recovered and could use their gills. Exactly. And then since they're mechanical gills, you know, maybe people can, you know, the, the adults can be in air for a while. Well, it seems like the king and queen are at the end. Yep. Exactly. And they're, and they're natural mutations, not, uh, right. not the artificial mutations. Right. Yeah, this story might have a few plot holes, Ken. No. No. Anyway, so... Uh, Okay, we probably don't have to say that much more, except, of course, for Barbara. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, McCoy's daughter, Barbara, lovely lady. Scotty is pretty smitten with her. Um, but 
she turns out to be quite bitter. Bitter and very sarcastic. Right. So she is really not liking... She's pissed with her father. And and she's... I mean, she's... She doesn't let... It, she doesn't mind anybody knowing about it. And no, so... To the point where McCoy... Or Kirk has to say, well, can we keep it civil while we're working? You know? Yeah, that's, exactly. And then... That's pretty bad. And then even Scotty defends McCoy and says, your father's a great man. Oh, didn't uh, he threaten to spank her, too? <laughs> <laughs> now I'm sure he probably would have liked to spank her, uh, but yeah, I mean basically everybody is like like coming off, coming back off of her rants about how much acidic commentary about how her father uh, left her, uh, right. you know, made a conscious choice to roam around the the uh, the galaxy instead of being with her and her mother. It's like well. Yeah, he did make that choice. Uh, but um, she's just so nasty about it. Right. And it's so weird because she wasn't in the last issue she was in. No. You know, when she was taking in, care in of her the cape. telepathic care monster, bear monster. Exactly, with her, with her really cool superhero cape on. That's right. I keep forgetting about the superhero cape. <laughs> so, yeah, so here's Scotty's actual line. I'd rather be your dad for two minutes. I'd take you across my knee and... Ah. And then she writes, I'm sure you would. <laughs> ah. <laughs> so, yes, he, he, he likes to spank people. He does. And really coming out in these last three issues, just like, oh, my God, he, he might have a spanking fetish. Yeah, and and I alluded to it in my synopsis in the previous issue, but... That was a thing. I mean, I, um, John Wayne spanking Maureen O'Hara across his, his lap um, in what McClintock. Uh, anyway, I forgot exactly what right, movie right, it was. Right. It's like, but and, and what was that 70s? Was that 70s also? Right. I, I don't also, know. Does he do it in True Grit? I know that in the remake um, they have. Oh, who's he do? Uh, John uh, Jeff Bridges doing it, but in the in the original True Grit, does he spank the girl? Oh, Kim Darby or the, the Kim Darby? It's probably not her. Um, the, the 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 female. Yeah, the one that hires late, him. the girl that hires yeah. him. Uh maybe. Or but maybe they like... did it in the remake to to reference that uh, Shirley MacLaine one. Shirley MacLaine. Oh, then isn't it? Wasn't that Shirley MacLaine that he spanked in that one movie that you keep mentioning? Maureen O'Hara. Oh, oh. Yeah, I yeah. Don't know. But Maureen O'Hara was his uh, was more John Wayne's age. Okay. Uh, yeah, she was the one that was in a lot of uh, movies with John Wayne uh, with with red hair. So usually, um, yeah. But it's like it's, it was a thing, you know. It's oh, it's okay to go ahead and uh, <laughs> and assert your manhood against misbehaving women by strapping them across your your knee and, and spanking them. Right. I mean, could you see that being accepted in today's society? I don't I think could, so. I could see it frowned on. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, anyway. all spanking is, is frowned on now. You can't spank children. You can't spank dogs. Oh, well. So, there you go. There you go. Okay, I just... Yeah, if you could just myself. do a search on... Uh, John Wayne spanking on YouTube. Yeah, uh, you, you get lots of hits. Oh, do you? 
Well, I did a search just to get some some uh, some photos, just so, uh, and also just to confirm my memory. Um, so I'm pretty sure it was McClintock, but anywho, uh, yeah. But it looks like he spanks Elizabeth Allen, Maureen O'Hare. Oh my God! Uh, and, and True Grit, there's a spanking. So yeah, it happens a lot. Elizabeth Allen. What's what's that from? Uh, I don't know. Okay, another movie. Okay, I guess so. It looks like it's like a modern day, or you know, a modern time for the time movie. It's not like a oh, it wasn't John Wayne. It was John Wayne, or was John Wayne again? I'm just saying it's not a western. It's uh, it looks like it's set in modern time. I don't know. I'm looking at the video. I don't know what movie it is. Like I I said, if you're into that, you you, you, just just do a search. You can find it. The, o- the only modern time movie I remember John Wayne being in was uh, was that one where he was a cop, and at the end he's using like a mini Mac, uh, you know, like a p- machine gun pistol kind of thing, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, that was not a good movie. But I, mean, I don't even remember the title, but it, it was it was the name of the character, you know. Right. Well, I know that he was in one called Donovan's Reef. Actually, that's what this one's called, is Donovan's Reef. Oh, Donovan's Reef. Okay. My dad bought it for me when I was a kid, because when VHS started being a big deal, he he thought it was funny. Because, you know, my name's Donovan, so he bought me Donovan's Reef. Oh, okay. I watched it once, and then uh, it never got watched again. Okay. So, he... No, I I have to... He was in a lot of non-Westerns, but they usually end up being war movies. World Mm. War II movies. So, Donovan's Reef. Okay. Yeah. So that was like in the 60s or whatever. Right. Okay. Yeah, he has an Irish temper and he gives this woman a spanking right on the butt. Ah, okay. I don't know if she likes it. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, whatever. All right, we are going off way in the deep end. Do we have uh, anything else to say? I don't. Um, uh, I just have a comment to say how Spock is de-emphasizing this issue. Is he even in this one? He's in it. He just doesn't do much. Um, out of his depth. I mean, he's just swimming around. Well, yeah, exactly. He doesn't. He doesn't contribute much. He's there, but so and and I can see them because of Barbara being in the mix. McCoy coming to the fore a lot more, and he doesn't get a chance to come into you know being a really active character. So, uh, like for example, wearing the uh, baby diaper on the head or baby blanket on the head um, to get the info that would normally be a Spock thing. But because Barbara was in the mix, you know, it was McCoy that was more actively contributing to the story uh, than Spock. I just just thought it was odd. Right, but 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 this this story really has no precipitation or n- nobody from Starfleet does really anything in this story. It it all happens, and they just happen to be there while it's happening. They don't they don't introduce King Rand to his son. They don't. They don't do anything except they just happen to be there while these other events are happening, right? So, I mean, this. Well, okay. They don't so, Rand. Rand. Co- yeah, the king ahead. coming to the surface. Did that have anything to do with the uh, the Starfleet people? Uh, not really. I mean, it doesn't. It just he's just suddenly there. Okay, but I mean, why did he pick there to be there? I don't know. But how did he even know that there was a there? He doesn't say. Okay, well... He says, my priest warned me about these uh, air breathers. I'm going to kill Spock. That's basically... <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't have to be Spock. It could have been, you know, one of the other advisors or one of the other air breathers. Yeah. No, you, you have a very good point. 
And then Kirk doesn't like do his like, I'm going to talk to you until you agree. <laughs> like the mom then's like, hey, this is our son. Uh, and then he's like, oh, okay. That's a very cool. good point, Donnie. That's a very good point. They're not actually, I don't think they're actively facilitating almost anything except yeah. that I think that maybe the king came to the surface. Because uh, he found out be, they climbed the wall? Because he wanted to see, you know, where the aliens went. I mean, if you had aliens, you never had aliens before, and all of a sudden you got aliens. I mean, wouldn't you want to know what happened to the aliens? I don't know, yeah. but I agree with what you're saying. I mean, other than that, which is not direct, I mean, it's just like, it's just, they want to know where the alien prisoners they, went. They killed the armadillo. But, I guess that's something. Oh, the armadillo. Was it an ar- Was it shaped like an armadillo? Yeah, it was shaped just like an armadillo. Oh my god! And and why do you have that anyway? Oh my god, you're right. Okay, so I went back to it. It is kind of an armadillo, and he's got like, he's got like snake teeth. Okay, yeah, whatever. And horns. Eh, right. Okay, whatever. Anyway, uh, anyway, last thing I have to say is I think King Rand's uh, fish helmet is a hoot and a holler. <laughs> It looks so bad. It, does <laughs> it looks bad. ridiculous. So <laughs> it's it, like an old old style scuba helmet where the glass the glass bowl is taken off of the front. Yep, and uh, painted like a, a giant fish mouth. Right. <laughs> and, and, and his face, he's got like a nineteen seventies like Charles Bronson kind of mustache and stuff, and so he kind of looks like a tough guy, but he's got this ridiculous fish helmet on. It's like, oh my god. It makes it even funnier, really. Charles Bronson in a ridiculous fish helmet. Anyway, should we go on to the next one? Please. <laughs> okay. So, issue 44 uh, is titled The Prince Trader. And its published date is May 1977. The writer is Arnold Drake. Art is by Alden McWilliams. And in this case... It says the cover artist is George Williams. Or th- there's a site you gave me, and I've been going to that that website. Um, and this one does say it was George Williams, or Wilson. Sorry. Okay, so the cover features a George Williams cover. Features a weird scene from Lawrence of Arabia. But rather than riding a beautiful Arabian stallion, Kirk is riding a pink and white colored ostrich. A really big ostrich. I mean, this is big. Next to him uh, is another guy in white clothes and a head turban, also riding an ostrich. Uh, Behind both of them are three guys riding on a brontosaurus kind of sort of looking creature with maybe a camel face. Uh, In this, we get to see more of it in the issue, but from this scene. Uh, especially with the creature being blocked by uh, by ostrich feathers, um, it's kind of hard to tell. But it's big and huge. Um, it's 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 kind of actually probably elephant kind of sized. Um, and these three guys, um, one of them is like inside of is inside of like like some kind of a little uh, you know ticket booth on top of the back of this big huge beast. And uh, he's holding a spear and pointing it at Kirk, like he's going to spear him or something. And, uh, yeah, so it looks like a um, an interesting chase is going on, and Kirk is in the middle of it on a ridiculous 
set of ostriches. Anyway, Kirk, Spock, and Scotty riding on a horse-drawn carriage with wheels and everything is are, are the honored guests from the Federation, um, and they are on planet Theo. And the inhabitants are waving and cheering, so it's kind of like a parade kind of thing almost. A welcoming thing going on. Um, And they're all kind of dressed in Middle Eastern garb and and whatever. They shout with excitement about the friendship between them and the visitors from space being long-lived. Spock comments about how happy the people seem to be with their lives. Almost on cue, a man in a turban takes out a crossbow with three loaded arrows and fires at the landing party in their cart, saying he is an avenger for the oppressed people of Fayo. Die, friends of Bovoda the Butcher. Spock moves out of the way uh, because he's Spock. Scotty apologizes for shoving the captain over and moves moves him out of the way of the primitive but deadly projectiles. So everybody everybody's able to avoid it. And of course, Scotty's the hero that takes care of stupid Kirk and gets him out of the way. Because he's Scotty. Scotty! A guard immediately kills the assassin with a sword to the back. Spock and Kirk comment to each other that things were going too well, and they appear to have stepped into a hornet's nest. Later, the landing party enters the palace of Emperor Bovda that looks like a building out of the Arabian Nights. During the reception, they find out that Bovda's father overthrew the previous government violently and that Bovda himself appears to be just as ready to do anything to hold on to power. They are introduced to the emperor's son, Yano when he runs up to his father, deriding his use of violence against the Red Raven assassin. Bovda introduces his son as a talented musician, poet, and painter, not like his father at all. Over dinner, Bovda proposes that his son be a gift to the Federation. He will return with Kirk and join Starfleet. Then, after a tour of duty, he will return after learning much. After initial trepidation and Yano saying he wants to go, Kirk agrees. They transport up to the Enterprise and Scotty helps Yano settle in and adjust to the Spartan accommodations aboard the starship. They get word that Spock never beamed up with them. Ah, that they didn't notice that. And is in fact being held at knife point by a masked man who will only trade him, trade him for the prince. Kirk thinks back on all the times he and Spock had together, all the good times, as he makes the most difficult decision of his life. In the meantime, the amazingly honorable prince learns how to work the transporter and beams himself down to the exact location where Spock is being held. Spock is released and returned to the ship. Later, Kirk, Spock, and Scotty are before the Emperor, giving him the news about the Prince. The Emperor is angry about Kirk losing his son to the Red Raven after placing him in Kirk's care. With nothing left to say, Kirk and his party beam back to to the ship 
and break orbit. Kirk tells Scotty to get them out of range of their crude telescopes, the, the planet's crude telescopes, and they will return at nightfall and go red raven hunting to get the prince back. Using the ship's sensors, they detect the heat of a large village. Spock, Scotty, and Kirk beam down and quickly are captured without even getting their phasers out, idiots. They are taken and imprisoned in the exact same cell as the prince. <laughs> well, that's great. The prince asks for Kirk and the Federation's help to talk his father into holding open elections, free speech, and a fair jury system. Kirk refuses, however, on the grounds it would break the Prime Directive. And by the way, why are they even on this planet? These people are primitive. Anyway, more on that later. The crazy luck of being imprisoned with the prince is shown to be all part of a plan when the prince reveals himself as the Red Raven and calls the guards. The prince slash Red Raven decides to use the lives of Kirk and his landing party as leverage to get his father to change his ways. The prince and Kirk mount ostriches, big ostriches, and ride to the emperor while Spock and Scotty stay behind with the rebels and execute a clever but wholly unoriginal plan to escape. Scotty and Spock take out their guards and leave the rebel camp in dark hooded cloaks. Meanwhile, the Emperor sends his chief of security, Colonel Lamb, on a mission to retrieve his son from the Red Raven. As he mounts his huge beast that has the body of an elephant and the head of a camel, Colonel Lamb plans how he will take advantage of this situation. What he plans to do is kill the Red Raven, who he already knows as Yano. He will then claim deep regret when it comes out that Yano is the Red Raven. All this comes to a head just outside of the city where the Red Raven's forces, who are positioned to attack just in case the Emperor does not listen to Kirk and Yano, are discovered. Kirk tries to explain to the Colonel, but he will not listen and the two forces battle. Things are not going well for the rebels. Suddenly, Scotty and Spock ride into the fray on big ostriches. They took the time to return to the ship and get their phasers, which is pretty handy right now. Scotty comes in close and shoots the colonel off his animal. Scotty has the colonel at his mercy, but the prince calls him off and punches his lights out himself with a right hook. Prince Yano and Kirk finally meet with the Emperor, who inexplicably abdicates his throne to Yano by his unexpectedly generous act from the most powerful man on the planet, a trajectory for peace is now initiated. Later on the Enterprise, Kirk and Scotty offer their opinions of what kind of leader Emperor Yano will be. Spock declines, saying he broke his crystal ball yesterday. Ha 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 The end. I like how you skipped over what Yano wanted to bring to the ship. I mean, it was like in, oh, yeah. uh, like that scene from Aladdin when Prince of Abla comes into uh, Agrabah. I mean, it's like, 
he had a whole like caravan of slaves and horses and yep. pillows and it's just like it, it really reminded me of that scene from uh from Aladdin just naming off all these things that he has <laughs> and right. that he expects to come to the ship with him. It was kind of cute. Cool. Well, my uh I was old enough and my kids were old enough that they I've never seen that movie. So I have no idea. What? What? Not even the new one with Will Smith? Same 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 no. story. No, I never saw it. Um <laughs> But, yes, there's an example, and this kind of thing has happened multiple times. I mean, I, I think, in, was it True Grit, where Kim Darby, or whoever the, whoever's playing the, the, the rich kid, has more stuff? Anyway, this is the kind of thing that, that, that bubbles up every once in a while. Sure. Somebody of privilege doesn't fully get it, <laughs> that they're going right. to be roughing it. Right, yeah. Yeah, I skipped. I skipped describing that. I also skipped describing um, that when that Kirk gets punched by the Emperor or oh, slapped across the face. Tells him that his kid got stolen. Exactly. So he gets pissed and, and slaps Kirk across the face, and then Scotty tells him, you know, what for? And then and then Kirk ends up hitting Scotty. Because Scotty's about to start spanking the Emperor. <laughs> <laughs> and Kirk says, oh, can't do that. So yeah, I skipped that part, too. Right, right. Well, you can't have it all in there. No. no. Uh, so, yeah, I like the ostrich thing. I know that you you made fun of it, and you're not a big fan. But I think the idea of having, riding giant ostriches is, is cool. <laughs> Well, giant you, seahorses, giant ostriches. I, I just like riding giant things that you normally can't ride. Okay, well, now that you bring those up, and you thought it was cool, it's like, okay. Um, first thing I got to mention is that when I'm watching this, I can't help but think of Harpo Marx. So uh, Harpo Marx, which is um, part of the Marx Brothers, um, a great comedy team you know, from the first half of the 1900s, um, that I I love those guys. Those are great, and and I know people don't really talk about the Hark, Marx Brothers much anymore, but I used to love those movies when I was a kid. And uh, one of them, I'm not sure which one, um, but Harpo, the 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 guy that can't talk, the mute guy, uh, is riding around on this ostrich, uh, coming to the rescue of some multiple of the other Marx Brothers that are being uh you know attacked by these other guys that are trying to. Stop! Stop them from doing something, and it's just—it's just a total crack up. Him riding around. So maybe there's other situations where you've seen people riding on ostriches, but yeah. it's like these poor animals having a human being on their back. Ugh. But it's pretty funny. Pretty funny scenes. Yeah, Ace, Ace Ventura does it too. Oh, Ace Ventura does it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Back to the ostriches. <laughs> the second thing I wanted to say is these things are big enough that they kind of remind what they're riding around on, that they, they remind me of the MOA. 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 So the MOA is an extinct flightless bird uh. um, that uh, I think Australia and New Zealand, I think it was in both places. Um, and it went stink, extinct about 600 years ago. So it was a giant ostrich? It, it kind of looked like a giant ostrich, or, or maybe a little bit more like an emu, but a really big one. I mean, this thing was like maybe forty percent taller than a human. Oh wow! 
quite a bit bigger. I mean, from a man, yeah, or a woman, whatever. So, hmm. anyway, so uh, yeah, so I mean, this thing you could ride, <laughs> right. probably uh, these moas. Well, I, I well, I guess you can obviously ride an ostrich too, but for a very short time, I don't think it's good for the ostrich. I don't think it's good either. Uh, anyway. I guess you can do it for a comedy routine, and then basically has to be put out of its uh, its oh, no, no, its no, misery no, 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 from no. the from the back breaking uh, weight. Anyway, anyway, yeah. and uh, you let's let's talk about the uh, the big beasts, the elephant kind of thing. The is it a, a, like a dinosaur, like a camel dinosaur? Well, exactly. So uh, the face looks like a camel. Um, but the neck looks more like a horse because it's really long. Um, and, and there's like, there's lots of like hair coming off the bottom. So camels have kind of an angled, so I I went and did a little research on this. So I reminded myself and camels always have kind of like a, uh, a curved neck that comes out and then goes up. And, and this is more like a horse's neck. So the head of a camel the neck of a kind of like a horse, maybe a Clydesdale with a lot of hair on it, very shaggy, and then the the body, the the, the legs, the back, the stomach, you know that kind of thing. The feet look like an elephant. Yeah, and then a hairy elephant. A hairy like elephant. A mammoth. There you go, like a mammoth. Right. Um, and then of course they've got the ticket booth on top, <laughs> and I call it a ticket booth. <laughs> but if you saw any kind of you know. Uh, the uh, Empire movies of where the, uh, the Ottoman U- Empire UK well when when England was like right. in India or Arabia or wherever and they're right. riding around the, the, the you know the, the rich guys are riding around on on uh, on elephants and they got the big old box on top and they're like you know whatever you know it's oh mm-hmm. there's the emperor or whatever uh, that's right. that's completely from that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but then but then they go ahead and just oh here's an alien animal and we'll just go ahead and bring pieces of Terran animals and and just rearrange them and yeah call it a day. Well, even their style, like the the clothing style with the turbans and things like that, yep. I thought they were trying to invoke a, a Middle East. Exactly. Which might be a little racist. Yeah, probably. But uh... but but the idea of I mean. I think it's kind of lazy. I mean, I think it's a lazy way of uh, depicting an alien situation. Like like the ongoing uh, comics or any modern kind of thing, they tend to put a little bit more effort into it. Not always, but a little more effort into creating alien creatures and things. Mm-hmm. But back when these things were being produced, I mean, you, you, you mentioned the last time we saw Barbara with the bear kind of thing, the, the King Kong kind of story. Right. Um, I mean, that was just a bear with a horn, a big bear with a mm-hmm. horn and, and maybe, maybe exaggerated claws. Um, and, the, and all this is just mixing and matching components of Earth animals. I mean, in more modern day comics, I mean, they really do try to make alien creatures alien. Well, and alien civilizations. I mean, yep. this is very in line with the original series where they Agreed. just beam down to the planet and be like, it looks just like Greece. Yeah. For no reason. <laughs> yeah. Well. 
So this, they beam down, and it looks like the Middle East for no reason. Yep. Because that's the set we had that week. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, to cut costs, they did that uh, that parallel development. They played that parallel development card a bit too often. Right. Yep. Okay, that's all I have to say about this one. You got yeah, I, else? I really don't have anything else either. Um, what was, did they ever say what that mirror thing was with the torches? What was what was the point of that mirror thing with torches? I'd have I don't to know. go back. They, I don't know what that was. They drag it and they light all these torches, and it was just a like like a spotlight. What was what was it? Oh, towards the end. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, before the end. attack. Right. Is that it? I, I was it just the signal? I don't know what that was. To be honest. Yeah, I thought maybe it was like supposed to be a spotlight or something, but like. So, it, so that was something the colonel brought out, right? Right, right. He was dragging it by one of one of the creatures was dragging it. Yeah, I don't know. And then he says, "Light, light the torches." So I guess oh, it was, was a spotlight. A it was a spotlight or something. Trying to yeah. trying to get more light to see who was in the bushes or something. Is that what it was? I yeah, don't know. And then they found Kurt. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. It looked kind of weird. I don't think it would work. Right. It was just a mirror. Oh, I actually have two things. Sorry. Ah, right, go ahead. This was confusing the heck out of me. <laughs> Again, Kirk is trying to get his phaser back from the prince, right? And I don't think he ever gets it. But then Scotty and Spock come to the rescue. And then I see nothing where Scotty or Spock throws a phaser to Kirk. Yet, we see that somebody in a gold shirt that looks a bit Kirkish comes up to the colonel's um, colonel's thing and, and, and shoots him off his, uh, his his elephant. Right. And says, close, colonel, but no cigar. And then the next scene you see, you see um, the colonel on the ground saying, then shoot me and be done with it. And that, and that one, the person with the phaser in his hand, is clearly Scotty. He's got a red shirt on. He sure. kind of looks like Scotty from like a profile. All, all, well, a little short of a profile. But anyway, it's clearly Scotty. And that makes a lot more sense with what we saw with Spock and Scotty riding to the rescue. So right. what the heck was going on there with that gold-shirted guy? Eh, he's just a miscolored. I think it's it miscolored. Like, it doesn't look like... Kirk at all. Well, it doesn't look like Scotty at all either, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, it doesn't it, look like it, anybody. It, it, I think yeah. it's just the stunt double. <laughs> exactly. It looks like a stunt they, double. They accidentally with got the wrong colored the shirt. Double. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that that was kind of throwing me off. And then, then the other thing that's throwing me off is just a general comment. What the hell is Kirk and crew talking to these people for? These people oh, are... Why they even come down there? Why are they... Yeah, why are they on this planet? I mean, these people. Invited, right? Well, okay. Doesn't the prime directive say you're not supposed to be messing with people um, that are technologically, you know, in the past? I mean, these are primitive people. They they don't even seem to have internal combustion engines. I right. mean, they're riding around in carts that are drawn by animals. They ride around in in some kind of weird elephants. Uh, these people are primitives. So what are you going down talking to them for? And showing them phasers and telling them you're from space. Telling them and taking their kids away from them. Exactly. 
I mean, yeah, I thought that he said that they were invited, but uh, but who knows? Yeah, so, e- so I mean, I guess maybe they have subspace communications, but they don't have really warp drive. They don't I even don't seem know. to have electricity. I mean, they're using torches and a mirror to make a spotlight. Right. right. I mean, okay, so in Taws, there were situations where. Starfleet people came into contact. Remember that one where the hill people and the valley people and right. uh, all that kind of stuff? I mean, Kirk was purposely going down there in their in their garb. He wasn't saying anything about being from space sure. or anything like that kind of stuff until he finally had to. So they're interacting with the people, but they're in disguise. So, okay, so you can do that. But that's not what's in this story. Anyway. No, they're just there. Anyway, I just thought I'd mention that. Good point. It's not consistent with uh, with Trek. But they made a, a a good story, and you could have goose writing. I mean, ostrich writing. <laughs> exactly. Okay, there you go. All right, anything else? That's it. All I'd say. Um, one thing about the advertisements I want to point out is that um, I grew up – I was – alive during these issues but i wasn't reading comic books or playing with toys really i was just a little guy Mm -hmm. but uh but as a kid i do remember like the evil could evil um stunt cycles Uh like that yeah so in in all of these issues um they keep advertising something very similar to that so i guess it was the precursor to this the evil could evil one which was like you know basically a motorcycle that you would put on a little air pump and then you would like punch it really hard and then oh right right okay shoot the uh shoot him down a ramp or up a ramp so it's just kind of weird that in this one they have both uh like a cop version and then uh, later they have a um one where it's just like a i guess some harley davidson looking dude but it looks like it's the same mechanic where you just like punch it shoots it out over a ramp does a little trick maybe breaks into something Mm -hmm. i just remember as a kid playing with those but mine was evil could evil, but cool or Duke Kaboom from the new uh, the Duke new Kaboom. Uh, from the new <laughs> Toy Story movie, which you probably didn't <laughs> watch because your uh, your kids are too old for that. Yeah, I haven't seen the latest ones. Yeah, yeah Keanu are they up Reeves, to four now? Keanu Reeves, yeah. So Keanu Reeves plays basically a uh, a uh, stunt cycle toy like like what I'm talking about. Oh, I mean, cool! But his name is Duke Kaboom. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I assume he sounds more like uh, John Wick than he does uh, the guys from uh, Bill, Bill and Ted. Ted. No, I, think, I think he sounds more like Bill and Ted. <laughs> pretty, he's, pretty, he's, he's the best part of that movie. Oh, is he? Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Duke yeah, he's Kaboom. a stunt cyclist that's, that's afraid of stunts. Oh, <laughs> so, great. It's great. pretty funny. He's pretty funny. Oh, God. Okay, maybe it, I have to, maybe I have to watch it now. He's definitely the best part of that movie, I thought. No. And that's the fourth one or the, the latest one? one. Okay. The newest one, yeah. Okay. Hopefully the last one because I think they're milking it too much. Right. So anyway, so uh, if we're done with this, uh, next week you want to continue the gold key route with three more lovelies? <sighs> sure. Cool. So, so do we, we want to do 45? It's the voodoo planet, your favorite. No, no we're not going to redo 45. We're not going to redo the Voodoo Planet. All right, fine. So we'll skip forty-five because we did that. That's that was originally issue number seven, uh, and we'll do forty-six, forty-seven, and forty-eight. Okay. 
Sounds good, my friend. All right, cool. We get some new art, some new uh, writers cool. on these ones, so cool. we'll see if it changes the stories. Yep. Hopefully, all you guys are enjoying these uh, gold keys. We know we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are, but yeah, these are not not the best. All right. Well. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, I know that you won't hear this until the future, but happy Father's Day. Belated. Very belated. For those of you that are fathers and for those of you that want to wish wellness to your fathers. Exactly. Okay. All right. Thanks, Ken. And thank you, everybody. And talk to you next week. See you later, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted in CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.